You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 186 of American Sex. Now, this week, it is just me, but Ken will be back next episode. This week, I'm talking with Luna Matatas about race and kink. And if Luna's name sounds familiar, she's been on American Sex many, many times. And this definitely will not be the last. Luna Matatas is a sex and pleasure educator with over 15 years experience teaching sex and empowerment workshops. She celebrates body confidence, self-adoration, and building shame-free pleasure in and out of the bedroom. She teaches a wide range of topics, including threesomes, BDSM, and sexual confidence. Luna also hosts the Plug Podcast, which is an anal sex podcast by B-Vibe. She created Peg the Patriarchy and Meditate, Medicate, Masturbate brands as part of her sex positive and feminist merchandise. So this week is good. We're talking race and kink. Now, most non-people of color assume that all of our experiences, every single one of us as kinksters uh, interacting with the community are pretty much the same, you know, maybe with a little slight variation. And, you know, why wouldn't it be? We typically think of the kink community as being incredibly accepting and incredibly diverse, more so than default world communities. Well, when it comes to race, we've got some work to do. A recent research paper published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior found that people of color were 16 times more likely to feel discriminated against at BDSM events and 17 times more likely to feel fetishized than their white counterparts. That's 46% of people of color felt discriminated against, while just shy of 5% of white folks did. Also, a third of people of color stated that they felt ignored or excluded within the BDSM community. This study is fascinating. I'll have a link to it in the bio. It is insightful. It is also sobering. Go check it out. But in this episode, Luna and I talk about why it's important to not only include, but center BIPOC experiences. You know, just because an event is welcome to all doesn't necessarily mean it's welcoming. Also, how can non-POC spot microaggressions and those little things that fly under the radar? How to be inclusive of people of color when our viewpoints and attitudes, you know, are not a monolith, right? We even argue amongst ourselves about what's appropriate and what's acceptable. How does everybody else know? And also, 
we explore the big question. How can working on this within our own community really do any good when we're just a microcosm of the greater world at large that has the same structural issues and inequalities? Do we have to solve that first? This is a good conversation. And it's important. But per our usual, even though it's a heavy topic, we laugh. We joke. At one point, or maybe four points, I nearly tinkled in my pants with laughter. You're going to enjoy this conversation and get some important, juicy, meaty stuff out of it, too. But first, we got to wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex. Uh, You know what time it is, right? Sing with me. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. You sang with me, right? Uh, I hope so, because together we're giving a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Anatha, Mistress Mine, McKenz, Aster, MG, and Siobhan for becoming our most recent American Sex Podcast Patreon members. And if you're like, well, Patreon, hey, what's that about? What do I get? What's going on? Uh, Good news. You can become an American Sex Podcast Patreon member at patreon.com slash American Sex. And of course, you get stuff too, like bonus audio from our guests, uh, extra episodes, all of our regular episodes early. You will get American Sex Podcast stickers in the mail that will designate you as an official American fucker. And just unveiled. Do we have a drum roll? No. Oh, that's the wrong noise. Hold on. No, I don't know if we have a drum roll. No, it's like a, it's not a joke. It's serious. So I I need to get a drum roll noise. But yeah, new kink is customizable stickers. I just got them a thousand of them. So they are also going to every single new Patreon member. You also get a shout out on the podcast and more. You know, Ken and I give the majority of our content away to the world for free, which is a lot more than just this podcast because we believe these conversations are important. They're critical. They're relationship improving, life changing, and everybody should have equal access to them. So by supporting us, you allow our content to remain free for everyone. Again, that address is patreon.com slash American sex. Now, secondly, if you are not following me on social media, be it TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, please make sure you are. I have a favor to ask of you. You can be a part of something with me. It's going to be cool. I'm doing a short questionnaire for people who are kinky or kink curious about how the last two years of lockdown has impacted your kinky life and your interaction with community and other kinky folks, both online and in person. And I would love your feedback. And like I said, it's a short questionnaire, like 20 questions. It should be coming out this week, uh, maybe today. Uh, you know, we're, I'm recording this uh, in the past, I guess, from right now. Um, so hopefully it's out. If not, it will be very soon in the next day or so. I'll be tweeting and TikToking and all that stuff. I'd love your feedback and your signal boost. And if you're like, well, what the hell is this for? I'm writing an article on the subject, and this data will help me. It's going to be, I hope, fascinating. We'll see. Knock on wood. Also, I've been working on something kind of big, kind of real big, that is related to this too. By the time this episode airs, that cat may be out of the bag. I am not sure. So 
I'm not going to mention it right now. You'll have to wait. My lips are zippered. But if you keep an eye on my social media, you will be the first to hear about that too. So exciting things are afoot. And last thing, our guest Luna and her co-host in the monthly Race and Kink discussion series, Marla Renee Stewart, are having an awesome event at the end of April. And if you're in the Oakland area or you're looking for an excuse to be in the Oakland area, because flights are real cheap right now, you know, uh, you need to hear about this. It is a weekend-long three-day intensive called Kinky Tapas, April 29th to May 1st. Kinky tapas is a great way to get little bites of a whole lot of kink, like tapas, like little smorgasbord, bite, bite, bite. You can try everything. Try it all. Hands on in a fun, low stress setting with educators, you know, Luna and Marla at your side to answer your questions and to guide you. And there's a ton more you're going to learn over the weekend too. Marla and Luna will be in two dungeons teaching everything from scene setting to communication to hands-on skills for impact, play, and bondage, uh, power exchange, a lot more. I hear there's like little trips around San Francisco. There's a bunch of stuff. Find the full list of skills and all the details at kinkytapas.com. And absolute beginners are welcome. Experienced folks are welcome. All genders are welcome. No partner is needed. And Proof of vaccination will be required with your intake form. So like I said, go to kinkytapas.com. And if you use my code, which is sunny, S-U-N-N-Y, it's almost always sunny for everything, you'll save a 100 bucks off your kinky tapas ticket. So go get it. That's it. These balls are clean. Here is Luna Matadas with Race and Kink. I'm really excited. And I feel like this isn't the start of our conversation because we have been like blabbing and blabbing and blabbing and blabbing off screen off recording. I don't know. Uh, Welcome Luna Matadas. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. Of course. I am always happy to talk to you. And we always have such amazing conversations. So this won't be the last time. Trust me. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, So... You have been um, doing a series with Marla Renee Stewart about race and kink. And it's interesting because, like, you know, I notice when discussions of race and kink come up, which aren't as often as they should be happening. And and sometimes when they are, they're really performative and kind of a train wreck. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Going to ease folks into this before we, you know... (laughs) Good teaser, good teaser. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And we're kind of off the heels of February. Actually, not because now it's April, but time flies. I feel like it was just February. Me too. Um, And there was a lot of talk on my... social media kink spaces of, you know, it's Black History Month. Let's talk about race and kink, specifically Black folks and kink and, you know, call attention to different issues that folks don't realize. It 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 went relatively well in a lot of ways. There was a couple. Um, but then February's over and everybody forgot about it. So <laughs> why is this important? Why do we need to talk about race and kink all the months out of the year, all the days out of the year? Why is it such a big deal if all of these kink spaces are like, but we welcome everyone. Aren't we done? 
<laughs> check, <laughs> check. <laughs> like, right. We put so a beige-colored person there. on our poster, and now it's good to go. Right. Uh, you know, I think I think that's such a great question because it, it it is so much about making this part of a our our practice of engaging in emotionally and physically safe kink and not just sort of a, a milestone once a year that we recognize there's a problem and we bring awareness to that problem. And I think people really struggle to figure out sometimes even what might be something that would look like an emotionally and physically safe anti-racist space and uh-huh. what would a, an interpersonal relationship that recognizes uh, racial power look like or what would a, an event that is uh, centering BIPOC people or centering anti-racist values what would that look like? And so mm-hmm. race and kink has has really just opened up space to have those frank conversations from the perspective of people like yourself, who are, are leaders in in the kink community, and have a voice that that often crosses a, a lot of different aspects, and not just about is race play okay? And mm-hmm. and so I think having having the 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 communication skills, having the self development skills, really having even spaces to to listen to and center by BIPOC voices is one of the ways that that we can keep this work going, that it doesn't just have to be kind of a a moment in in the year, but that we actually start to to create more validity, more support, more affirmation for the voices that have always been here. We just don't tend to to see them. And one of the things I found was so interesting, and Marla will will vouch for this too, is we've had no problem finding shortages of amazing racialized and BIPOC people who are leaders and uh, have a lot to say about kink and BDSM. And when you look at a lot of the more mainstream kink events, it's it's very white. And and uh-huh. so we're like, well, these people have always been here. We didn't have to try that hard to find them. Uh, and and so that's part of the problem is that we'll we'll see a bunch of panels in, in February and then nothing for the rest of the year. Right. Right. Yeah. And what was it? Was there a certain thing? that made you and Marla get together and be like, you know what, we need to be talking about this regularly. Let's do something. Was there an incident or were you just like tired of it? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I I think it was it was a rant that um, uh, we had talked about because we had both logged into our FetLife around the time of the George Floyd protest and a lot of kinksters on FetLife were actually kind of mad that their space was being, you know, doing air quotes, like politicized and that can't we keep, you know, politics out of kink. And uh, we were both so annoyed because it, it's just so ridiculous to, to think that I can just pivot and turn off, you know, being a, a person of color in order to to play in the space. And also that our, our sexual freedom and social justice are, they're linked. And, mm-hmm. and when we think about social sexual empowerment, there's a lot of things around body autonomy around human rights, around access. And, you know, all of these things are are intersectional in, in most people's experiences. And so we decided to start um, having the conversation. Of course, the big one, the first one was really big. We had a ton of people and it's it's slowly become, you know, sort of a, a, a varying levels of, of interest because I think BIPOC people are still really showing up into the space and mm-hmm. uh, white people who are committed to learning. We do have a, a lot of uh, white people showing up in the space to to really listen and and that value of just sort of listening right and um so it's become a safe space for bipoc people and also a safe space for people who actually want to learn who who want to um come in and and just hear different perspectives 
Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. I I tell people about it all the damn time. And oh, thank you. You know, when you had said, okay, it's a safe space for BIPOC people, a lot of BIPOC people show up, um, and a lot of white folks who are super committed to being anti-racist, who are, you know, going that extra mile to really learn and unlearn. Um, But, you know, one might argue that, well, those are the folks that are, you know, like you can always learn, not saying that you don't need to, but those are the folks that are already doing their best to try to show up. How do you feel that these folks that are, you know, the front and center trying the best they can to be good accomplices or allies, how do you feel that them showing up to these spaces can trickle down to the rest of the community and the folks that aren't showing up? Ooh, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think I think it's it's probably, you know, the converted that are also showing up and just want to deepen their their knowledge and their awareness and, and mm-hmm. also how to have these conversations. Like I think sometimes we have a feeling about something, but we're not sure how to frame it. Is it real? Do how do what what are our options? And um I think for, for people who are showing up and then taking this knowledge back to their communities, this would be things like bringing awareness within the organizations that they participate in. So if you're part of a um, a rope club or you're part of a munch, you know, sparring these conversations so that BIPOC people don't necessarily always have to say, hey, I'm the only like person of color here. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem. Um, or we just stop going. I just stop showing up to things that are are too white. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily be an advocate in that way. And um, I, I think that there's also something about continuing to attend, celebrate and support the the creators that that we we profile at, at Race and Kink and th- I think that's the beauty of it too is Marla and and myself being able to use our platforms to to lift up people that also would maybe are getting hyper censored by the algorithm or you know they just they just don't necessarily have the the access to the kinds of audiences that we might have or that our allies might have. So we'd love to see more people showing up so we can Build this this groundswell. Yes, 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 yes. Now I have found a lot of folks, you know, similar maybe to what you you're saying about people not wanting to politicize their spaces. To me, that's a little bit, you know, on the extreme end. But I'll I'll see very well meaning uh, folks that are not people of color saying like, but you know, I honestly want to get it. But I don't get it because I am making my events welcome to everyone. I am uh, making an effort not to, you know, quote, be racist or say racist things. I am doing what I feel that I'm supposed to be doing. You know, what else is there and what am I not seeing? And and I'll give you one uh, quote. The the science of uh, BDSM research team, who they've done some awesome stuff, they did a recent survey called the challenge at the intersection of race and kink, racial discrimination, fetishization and inclusivity within the BDSM community, where they went to different events and they polled people, people of color, white people, all sorts of different people. And one of the statistics that they had was we found that 45.8% of people of color felt discriminated against in the BDSM community or at a BDSM event, uh, while 
4.9% of non-people of color did. And wow. I think like the folks that I'm referring to are like, but I'm doing everything white, right? White. Oh my God. That was, <laughs> that was the worst <laughs> That was poetry. Uh, that, was, that was a thing of fucking beauty. I tell you right there. Anyway. <laughs> um, but they're like, you know, I'm doing everything right. I am I'm trying my best to be anti-racist, but like, I don't know what I don't know. And, you know, hearing that, near 50% of people of color feel discriminated against where I don't see it. So how is it happening? And where is it happening? Like, how can we explain that to people who honestly want to see it, but can't? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that, um, well, I think one thing is that change takes time. And so people start advertising that all they, you know, they put a line on their poster that everyone's welcome, but their entire committee, all the organizers, the group members, everybody's white. And um, so that's, that's pretty intimidating. And so there, there has to be relationship building. You know, are mm -hmm. we engaging people in, uh, with the organization? Are we asking people what kind of music or food they would like? Like, I, I understand that kink and techno apparently go together or industrial yeah. music, but yeah. I'd love to do like rope and reggae jams or something or, you know, something yes. that, that would feel just, a, it, just sort of, okay, well, this isn't a, a club that now I'm exclusively joining that, oh, I belong here as well or at least there's a diverse set of interests. It seems pretty predominant in, in most places. Yeah. And I think even, uh, uh, you know, taking a look at their policies. So do they have an anti-racist policy? Like what happens if a racist um, experience happens at, at one of their events? Like what what's the protocol? What's going to happen? I think demonstrating responsibility and accountability for, for creating a space, it, it also helps communicate that, yeah, you know what? Like, we're learning and things are going to happen, but we're committed to processing that and listening and learning from those experiences. Uh -huh. um, it's sort of like inviting, you know, a whole bunch of people to dinner and you have a vegetarian and you're like, well, there's, you know, there's potatoes. You can have the potatoes. Like it's, it's really not, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's not catered in a way that, that makes people feel that it's going to be anything than what it already is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, when I think about this, and I think about and we talked about this, I, I was recently a guest um, at one of your race and kink discussions about my experience as a mixed race person, like I kind of get to be the mole and I can be in white spaces and, and hear what like white people are thinking. And then I can, you know, so I, I I'm, I'm sort of like an international spy or something. Oh my God, you are. I totally <laughs> no, I'm an interracial spy. That's You're an interracial all. spy. That was right there. I know, you missed it. You got it though. You got it back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, um, and I think one of the, the challenges is, you know, when we say, okay, there's a policy if something racist happens. Most white folks, when they think of something racist that happens, they're thinking of something very overtly, you know, I called you the N word, uh, you know, yes. something that's very obvious. And I think there's a lot of disconnect. I, I saw a video the other day where someone just spelled this out beautifully. And I was like, oh, my God, that Ooh. is it. That white people are taught that you are either like a good person, meaning you are not racist, or you're bad, you're racist. So your choices are be not racist or be a horrible mm. human being. Mm. 
Right. And there is no room to be a good person, but be racist. Right. And I think most of the racism that we're seeing is that more that subtle coverts like I'm not walking into the party wearing a you know white hood, but I made some microaggression that I didn't even notice. Yes. That really put somebody off. So like that you can still be a good person, you can mean well, you can not want to be purposely racist. But just because of, you know, gestures at everything, the system, um, sometimes that still happens, even when you don't mean it to. Um, Would you agree? I mean, I think that's a a really big sticking point. Would you agree with that? And if so, what the fuck do we do about it? (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. And I think that's a brilliant way of of understanding it because it's. Yeah, we can make policies, we can create frameworks, and these things support if we have um, individual behavior that is affirming of that space. And and so a lot of us, and I think you talked about this on our episode of, of Race and Kink, where we, we have a responsibility to examine our real world power when we're coming into these spaces. And whether that's gender, whether that's race, whether it's ability, you know, all these, uh, these types of things as we're coming into kinky spaces where we're playing with role play, we're playing with power, we're playing with people's education. We're playing with light, and um, that that can happen in our in our own development of our 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 understanding, but also in our relating. And so mm-hmm. it can't really happen in a vacuum. You're going to make mistakes. Someone's going to call you out. Someone's going to say things. And and this doesn't only happen, I think, between white people and, and people of color. I think there's there's interracial dynamics that, that also um, center around fetishization or um, particular ideas of like role plays or archetypes or assumptions of power. And it, it's just too intimate and vulnerable of a, a space to be able to go in without thinking about what am I bringing in here? You know, what, right. what, what assumptions am I bringing in? And I, I think everyone wants to be a good person. I think intentions are always really great. And um, also, you know, people of color are not a monolith. So what's right. going to be, you know, microaggressive in, in this way is might not even be experienced by someone in the same way, but also that we may want different responses. I, I think I often am not sure what's happening when it's happening. And then I'll leave and feel like, why was that off? And, and then it will come to me. I'm like, Oh, that's what I was feeling. That ickiness. It's different than I just didn't like you. It's, it's, mm-hmm. there's something else about power in it. But in those moments, I know lots of us freeze, lots of us fawn, you know, and so we're, we're not really sure what's, what's happening. Some yeah. of the things that our, our guests have and our participants in Race and Kink have said to us is that, you know, I, I really only like going to parties when I have a, a buddy with me. I want another POC to go with me. And some people want POC only parties, but other mm-hmm. people are in interrelation- interracial relationships. And so what does that look like in crossing over spaces like you talked with us about? So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there's one. I think it's really messy. I don't know if there's one sort of I wish there was a checklist. I wish there was a like how to not be racist. Right? Like, let's just do that. But but it's I think it's a it's constantly kind of holding the the fact that, yeah, we, we live in a racist society. So we we're we're constantly trying to find balance with our our ethics and um but i mean the system around us is is just super racist yeah yeah and i i think about that you know the the larger structure it's like 
can we really, you know, on one hand, can we really um, do something about racism within the kink community when we are just a microcosm of the larger community? If we're fucked up out in the default world, how do we think we're going to fix it in here? But then at the same time, or on the other hand, I say, well, wait a minute. As kinksters, generally, not all of us, but as, as a collective, we're pretty emotionally literate. We know a bit more um, about power structures and how they affect us, not only in scenes, but in default world, outside of scenes, outside of dynamics. So we have that perspective and that lingo, I think, a little bit more than the average person you know, walking out on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think addressing kink or addressing kink? Address, <laughs> why are we doing this? Stop spanking each other. No. <laughs> My words are just everywhere today, man. Okay. Um, addressing racism within kink. Do you think that's like digging a hole with the sand coming in until we fix the outside? Of the, or do you think like maybe we can be, I don't know, the evangelists in the greater world? What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think we are the sand. I think like we we have to change ourselves. And and like you said, we're the microcosm. So as we start to change and 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 we see this even as using kink as a tool for personal development. And so the the more that I started to learn about feminine dominance, the more that I learned about communicating, uh, about taking up space, about how to be empathetic in an erotic way, those things trickled out into my real world confidence. They yeah. they made me feel more comfortable in my, my body had a different experience. My body wasn't this tamed, obedient version that patriarchy expects me to be. It, it ended up being something way more expansive. And so I, I I think we can do that. I think I think we have the ability to use our erotic creativity in ways that are are creating a better world that that we are going to be better people and and more mindful of it. And like you said, there's there's so much more opportunity for communication, for interpersonal learning um and and doing that kind of self-discovery around I- issues of power is mm-hmm. is pretty powerful for for having a a safe contained space to do it in. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, you brought up personal growth and how we're on personal growth journeys. And this is something that I struggle with uh, not knowing the answer about, even outside of the topic of race, just anything, is Mm -hmm. when we say we, you know, we talk about the kink community. There is really no kink community community. It's fractured into all these little sub communities that are very different from each other. But we Mm -hmm. call it one collective community, even though maybe that's not the best phrasing. So when we say us, you know, oh, us as kinksters, we're on a journey of personal growth and blah, 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 blah. Do you think we're fooling ourselves because the circle that we are in and the American fuckers listening, I know you're a bunch of like cerebral motherfuckers that are on that personal growth train, <laughs> but when it comes to the greater kink community, whatever that means, do you think we're in the minority? Like, I honestly don't know the, like, are we fooling ourselves going, we're all so self-aware and we're just And it's like this little, the little tiny geeks in the corner and like the rest of the kink community can give a shit. They just want to get off and spank each other. Like, you know what I'm saying? Is our perspective yeah. skewed? Do you think? Probably. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, fuck. Goodbye. We're done. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wrestle with that a lot because it's like, that's my life's work. That's who I teach to. That's, and I'm like, am I teaching to this like very small little subsect of a subsect of a subsect of a subsect of a bunch of like self growth geeks? Or I don't know. I don't know. Well, I I think it's so it's such a good question because I I think the way that you teach and the way that I teach with this awareness and so people are learning skills as if this is normal. It's normal to talk about power. It's normal to talk about empathy. It's normal to to negotiate in ways that are has ongoing consent. Mm-hmm. And and that feels great. I think that that feels great for me to think, okay, well, I'm doing this and it's sort of, you know, blowing a dandelion into the wind kind of thing and then <laughs> those people are going to have sex with other people and they're not they're going to be cool about it and then um we're we're sort of trickling out into the bedrooms of uh, people in in kind of a a continuous way but yeah i i don't know i i sometimes i feel when i i teach to people who are not necessarily in our community i actually feel it's 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 a different kind of reward because Mm -hmm. i i get to not come and just talk about a paddle but we talk about like the person holding the paddle and and what does this person want and what do they need and who's the person receiving the paddle versus like oh here's a couple of techniques for physical skills yeah yeah Yeah. i i I guess we are changing the culture very and when i say the culture not just kink but like the grander culture in a very covert subversive Mm. slow burn grassroots kind of way Mm -hmm. um and you know if i think about and i'm i'm just like pontificating with you we're thinking out loud together yeah yeah um if i think about like think back before 50 shades of gray right yeah and before the greater public was talking about kink and consent and all Mm -hmm. of you know who's holding the paddle and the ethics and all that um, if you think back to 10 years ago versus now, it's like, yeah, the general public, I think, does have a much better grasp of like the humanness behind kink. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've done something. And if we can do that with just self-growth, mm. can we really make a mark with what being anti-racist really means? I don't know if you can answer that question. That's just like throw it out to the universe, like the like the dandelions, right? Yeah, I don't know. I feel so strongly about the kind of you know being a light uh, amongst other light, and Mm -hmm. um, you know so that we get we get sort of like brighter on this. And I think that there's also such a need for people to you know, really dig into other communities and, and help bring out more awareness there. But I think it's just going to take many hands and many paddles. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, oh. that's That's going to have to be the future. I mean, it's really inspiring to see, you know, up and coming sex educators already have this framework as if it's, you know, just, just normal. If it's, yes. if it's, you know, this is what's expected that we're teaching from. Oh, I love it. I don't know yeah. how we got so like, I don't know, positively existential. Like, are we on mushrooms? Are we high? Did we smoke? A d- no, we did not. But I, don't know. I think I we're might changing the this world. Morning, but I don't know. <laughs> this is how I was. <laughs> well, everyone, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. So make some tea out of it. All right. right yeah. So, <laughs> so, like, let's go back to some specifics about yeah. um, 
race in the community. First, I want you to de- define something for the listeners because we talk about BIPOC, so B B I P O C, and I hear different people out there in in the sphere confused because. Um, there seems to be two different definitions floating about the, the the definition I use for BIPOC is black and indigenous people of color. And mm-hmm. I hear a lot of white people going, but isn't BIPOC everyone? Isn't it black and indigenous and people of color? And I don't know if there's an answer because I've tried researching this and it gets really confusing. Um, yeah. Is there an answer? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know either because okay. I've, I've heard the same two sort of camps and yeah. um, I think I also hear people use POC um, in Canada. Sometimes we say racialized because it's a, a process of racialization. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I'm not really sure. I think I think my common go to language is probably BIPOC or POC. Right, right. Yeah. And I but tend yeah, to I'm use sure. BIPOC as like for black and indigenous folks only, but I don't know. And maybe the word will define itself. Like we'll come to some sort of consensus and mm. it'll shake itself out. But okay. So y'all American fuckers listening, if you're a little confused, you're not the only run. There's you're a not reason. The only don't yeah. worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how, um, specific examples of how things show up in the community that are more of those, I'm a good person and I mean well that I really stepped in it and did some kind of microaggression that I didn't even see. So what might that look like, whether it's just generic examples or even examples from your own experiences? Yeah, I, one that came to mind immediately that a lot of our guests have talked about, um, we had Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir talk a lot about this. Uh, oh, is I the idea- Oh, me too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um the the fetishization that that happens sometimes people think it's a compliment and uh that it's you know i'm celebrating your your bbc or um you're a a, beautiful mocha skin right Uh, you're caramel goddess like these kinds Mm -hmm. of things and and that's not to take away from people who want to as part of their kink to self-objectify in that way and that that's part Mm -hmm. of their their own type of um fantasy and erotic imagination but i think what happens is that it's an assumption and so it's immediately othering of somebody and it's immediately objectifying of somebody. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes people will defend it in that it's it's more of a it's it's an appreciation. It's a compliment. Why are you taking this so seriously? I was just trying to be nice, like blah, blah, blah. And and so then that becomes a, a microaggression because now you're well or an overt aggression because you're you're now in a position of defense, and mm-hmm. you're, you know, for yeah. just wanting to not have this happen or not wanting it to be something. So I think there's also a lot of assumptions around uh, the types of roles that that people might be in. So particularly mm-hmm. black men might be always uh, assigned an assumption of dominance or a, right. a character of being a bull or whatever fantasy is is, is set around uh, fetishizing black men. Um, likewise, for, for Asian women, there might be an assumption of submission or that they are going to want to bottom for things. And, uh, and we see this replicated over and over again. I mean, you can look on anybody's, you know, kink retail page or their kink festival page, and it's got thin, white, young, submissive cis women, and then usually older, white, cis male dom. And so we see this over and over again in in the power dynamic. So it's kind of understandable people are are stereotyping in their interpersonal relationships as as well. But for BIPOC people, it's immediately... Uh, you know, that, that you cease to exist as a, a person or an individual anymore. You're now right. somebody's idea of what your appearance has told them about you. 
So I'm going to go back to those two examples yeah. and like look at them through a different lens because mm -hmm. I'm imagining like I am uh, the white American fucker who's listening, who's doing my best to be anti-racist, who is genuinely like, but every single circumstance is different. So it's hard to tell like what is the right thing. So let's go back to example one where they're like, you know, let's say, I don't know, you're at a munch or a play party or whatever. And uh, let's say I'm a white dude and I'm approaching a black woman. And that is a black woman who likes to be called, you know, mocha or, you know, use those kinds of words that other people might be like, don't you dare fucking call me that. Um, if I'm that white guy, how do I navigate that? Do I ask? Do I wait for her to bring it up first? And if she refers to herself that way, then ask some questions like, do you like to be, you know, blah, 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 blah. How would you navigate something like that from, from the white person's point of view who's like trying their best and totally fucking confused? Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, this this came up um, a couple of times uh, at at Race and Kink about how you know how to how do we get a, a better idea of of what things are appropriate and what things aren't, and um, I think in this scenario, I think this applies to any kind of of interaction in a, a kinky play space or a kinky party is that we don't make assumptions about anything based on mm -hmm. on the person's experience. I mean, if they're wearing a collar or if they're um, you know, in a certain outfit or something, I think asking is is part of the engaging. It's part of the curiosity of someone. It's part of getting to know them. So mm -hmm. in this case, if if this person's name tag says like Mocha Black Queen, well, yeah, like maybe, you know, is it okay to call you by your name tag name? Or is there something else that you would prefer? Or tell me about your fantasies. Tell me about your kinks. You know, I'm looking for people that are like-minded to to my kinks and my fantasies. And allowing people to to self-identify and, and build a, a connection as people first, and then as your kinks second or or after. I think mm -hmm. that that also can then allow for more vulnerability. I think at that point, learning about someone's fantasies, and then you want to share. Well, yeah, I'm kind of interested in racial dynamics. I'm not sure if that's something that you're comfortable with. And and that's so much more uh, humanizing than than sort of assuming, okay, well, can I do this or can't I do this? It's not really about right. you. It's about what's going to create a positive um, experience and engagement if your plan is to engage with this person. If your plan is to get to know or to, to play with this person, then all of this information that you're gathering versus affirming some assumptions or your fantasies is actually going to be more useful in creating that intimacy. Right, right. It, it's it's hard to navigate, you know, like, every situation is different. Uh, and I think white folks who are trying to do their best, who have fucked up, and have, you know, felt really bad when they fucked up. I think there's this like, propensity to not want to fuck up again, that ends up fucking shit up even more like <laughs> just be open to the fact that you might fuck up um and and also the fact that you know like we were saying people of color aren't a monolith you know what i mean it's like for me if if someone if a white person were to approach me who i did not know who i did not have a history with saying that they were interested in some sort of like racial dynamics or, or nope like that would be a big old red flag for me you know 
Um, so it's like knowing the nuances of like, mm, what's, you know, it, I think it's like, if anything might be questionable, maybe like, let's the other person lead. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, if you have a, when in doubt, just. So then the, the other example we had was pigeonholing people into like, if you're a black man, you're dominant, you're bold, you know. I've seen the opposite where if you are a person of color and you're the stereotype, you're not allowed to exist. Like mm. Melina Williams Haas talks a lot about mm-hmm. she identifies as a slave and she's a black woman and she gets some shit, at, you know, overtly and covertly. Yes. Or if you're, I don't know, an Asian woman and you're a service submissive, you're you're not allowed to exist because you are the quote stereotype. So talk a little bit a little bit about that. How that's one of those covert things that goes unseen in communities. Yeah, I I think that's that's really powerful, and I I love everything that Molina does, and and especially from the perspective of of being a black person and being in a, a slave dynamic, because there's so much empowerment in feeling like you belong in your erotic spaces and your erotic desires, and having that confidence, having that that affirmation, and and not feeling that that internalized shame and externalized shame is it's so it's so beautiful it's so beautiful to be able to do that yeah i think i i find that um you know it's it's partly my experience in being a, a femdom who's also a person of color and i just find it's very alienating so when i'm i'm at femdom parties i kind of feel oh like i can't relate to to a lot of the the white femdoms or they're already sort of in their characters and so um it feels very exclusive and mm-hmm. when i'm in more diverse kinky spaces then i also feel oh okay like there's there's sort of this turn off because i'm not a, a submissive person in and and being a woman and so my gender and my race kind of get all mushed together in in making me feel sometimes like i super belong and sometimes i don't belong and i think i think the important thing here is for for the people who feel like they're being erased for the people who feel that they don't have any visibility is that we we also need to be mindful of of making these giant sweeping kinds of um these are these are kinks that are acceptable and these are kinks that are not acceptable and i think a lot of that we saw come up where um around the same time that we started racing kink where people were questioning language like master slave and so should we Mm. be using something else and we had a a racing kink uh guest recently that says she reclaimed that language as a, a black person by uh negotiating owner property terms and so i mean it depends on on what someone feels is going to affirm their experience that might be really finding partners that are super trustworthy it might be finding like-minded people um and I, yeah, I'm not really sure in, in terms of public spaces because I think it's really dicey. I think it's, it's really tough. There are lots of kinksters that believe we shouldn't have military or police uniform play or that there should be warnings for that. Where I don't know. There's lots of things that really, um, are not my, my cup of tea. And I, I'm around them all the time in, in kink spaces. So I'm, I'm not really sure how, we, where we draw the line or, or what you know, what, what we say is okay and isn't okay at the expense of, of disempowering people from, from their kinks and especially people of color.
Spring is in the air. It is a time for new beginnings and a chance to reawaken your sexual energy. But you gotta do it with Like a Kitten. And I'm telling you why. Because the last thing you wanna do is overshadow that mounting bow chicken wow wow with indecision and analysis paralysis. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get all excited and then you log on to the online sex shop or walk into one and you are overwhelmed with the sheer number of products to choose from. And it's a total boner killer. Lucky for you, Like a Kitten makes buying sex essentials a breeze. Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes, so each season you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all the ingredients to spice up your sex life. Their spring box will tickle all of your senses with treats like strawberry nipple arousal cream, cheeky apple lube, and melting rose petals for the bath. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll receive a pink glass dildo, flowered glass Kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot with seeds for roses, daisies, and sunflowers. You know what I love about Like a Kitten? They take care of me. I don't have to make a bunch of agonizing decisions. I can just kick back and enjoy and take whatever they give me. Kind of, are they my dom? Maybe? If so, I don't mind. I love how Like a Kitten inspires me to play in new ways with toys like their pink flower nipple suction set. The spring subscription box price is $79, which is a steal since the products in this box retail for well over $150. And to celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or enter the code sunny at checkout. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or use code sunny to get 15% off these incredible boxes. Again, that's likeakitten.com slash sunny. And that link is in our episode description. Guess what? It's finally time to start that podcast you've been thinking about. Go! Because I've got two free months of podcasting service for you with Libsyn. List your show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, get a dashboard full of critical show building stats. Plus, Libsyn even does video. Use the code SUNNY at Libsyn.com or follow the link in the show notes. you know, what, what we say is okay and isn't okay at the expense of, of disempowering people from, from their kinks and especially people of color. Yeah. And that, that gets tricky, you know, because it's not, we tend to see things on the surface, like, oh, oh my goodness, you're walking into my party in a cop uniform and you're a dominant and your submissive is, uh, you know, a person of color. Oh my God, that... But yeah, maybe it's a scene of reclamation. And if that's the case, like, you don't necessarily want to shut it down. But do you do you have a caveat like, hey, this scene is happening in this room. Heads up, everyone. If you don't want to sit like it gets, you know, and do you tell the person you can't walk around the party in public spaces before or after you're seen in that outfit? Like, it, it's a it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I tend to. Yeah, I tend to err towards the, uh, I guess, more cautious or more inclusive. But at the same time, the more inclusive might be exclusive in some circumstances. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think that, you know, as people of color, we might be able to see like, oh, there's that nuance. There's that like, what if? Oh, but then what if? Oh, but then what if? Um it is that intersectionality and that nuance of everybody's different and they all have a different point of view. 
we can see that and we're still stumped by it. We're still like, I don't know what the answer is. Um, how do white folks navigate that? Do they, uh, you know, when they're running events, do they hire people of color to consult? Like, what what do you suggest if it's like this hard for us to figure it out? Yeah, I think if you're listening and it's hard for you to figure it out, you got to come to Raising Kink. And like, cause yeah. I can't tell you what all people of color want. I think the, the nuance is, is, is continually there. I mean, yes, you can hire people. Marla does a lot of diversity and equity training, uh, for kink spaces and uh-huh. for, for sex positive spaces. So definitely, um, look into doing that. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we're, it's great that it's coming to our field as well and, and seeing that built into organizations. But, but I think it is, there's so much learning to be done. It, it can't be just about, uh, you know, sort of reading something or, or figuring out how to change what's, what's here and now. It's like, how do we create mm-hmm. a transformation? How do we, how do we start to do that? And I think for Marla and I, even thinking about, um, our, our retreat, we wanted to make sure that it was, uh, an anti-racist space. It was, BIPOC centered. And so often we have people emailing us asking if it's okay for white people to come. And yeah. um, I'm glad. I'm glad that that people feel comfortable reaching out and, and asking that question, because I think those are definitely the type of people that, that we want, the people who are aware of their presence, aware of how they might change a space. And, and what an anti-racist space looks like is just that we've taken all these things into consideration. It doesn't mean that we're uh-huh. perfect. I mean, perfectionism is a tool of white supremacy, too. And, you uh, know, we're... Man. Yeah. Right. Oh, we're yes. not we're not aiming for perfect. We are just are, you know, we know that we also have our our learning to do. And um, our labor really is to kind of create more safe spaces for everyone. But that that means working on more safe spaces for BIPOC people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yes, yes, right? yes. Yeah. So, you know, you talk a lot about um, not just inclusive spaces but BIPOC-centered spaces. Why is that important and what's the difference? Yeah, so I uh, the first time I ever went to a truly BIPOC-centered space, it was the Sex Down South Conference. And oh, yes. oh, oh my gosh, it was so good. I was like, and I remember going tell, asking Marla, how did you do that? How, how did you make it BIPOC-centered? Because I definitely felt very much at at home and and there were there were all all kinds of people there of course but um the from the presenters to the volunteers to the people that were vending you know there were so many black owned businesses and and it was just it was so intentional it was so intentional to um you know really do this relationship building and this reaching out to make sure that um they weren't sort of defaulting to what was easy to find and what was mm-hmm. what was um, seen in other conferences and other spaces. So I think that that's part of of um, what we've also adopted for for kinky tapas is that we we've adopted these um, practices of making sure that we're considering, you know, what kinds of things might we do to make this space more accessible for people that haven't felt comfortable in other kink spaces that weren't BIPOC centered. And mm-hmm. um, so part of that is our advertising part of that is, you know, who we're working with and the a lot of the community leaders that we had on race and kink um are wonderful for helping us amplify to the right communities and mm-hmm. um that also means that we're going to integrate a lot of our learning around racial power dynamics when we're talking about each individual kink and because we've got hands-on stuff we're going to be in dungeons we also want to talk about the the history of 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 our our kink 
kink because kink is often looks like white people came up with it. And, you know, if you just look at the kink community, yeah. you're like, yeah. oh, and that's what I actually thought when I first got into kink. I just thought, oh, is this a white people thing? Like, is well, this I like, mean, that's, that's you know? what communities of color think. It's like, oh, you're into that white people shit now. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's like, well, you know. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm actually going to be doing a talk with another um, sex educator at Sex Down South um, around kink in our in our ancestors. It's it's our kinky ancestors. That's what we're going to be doing. Ooh. It'll be good. <laughs> Ooh. Now, that's interesting. Now, I'm putting a pin in kinky tapas because I want to come back to oh, that yeah. and really dig into what sure. that's about. But speaking of the ancestors and, and et cetera, et cetera, and I tried to look for this before we were, and I could not find it. Like years ago, yeah. there was an Instagram post that was a series, you know, like infographic sort of. Ooh. And it was basically, um, and I, I'm hoping by the time this comes out, I'll find where it is and Ooh. I can put the link in the show notes because it was just mind blowing mm. it was like hey i mean basically you know it was like hey white people um you know like it, it is kind of like you invented kink right but let's think back to how kink ties to real world oppression and history and how it really is political even if it doesn't feel political to you while you're doing it and some of the examples that got brought up were like the imagery to, um, you know, to chattel slavery in, in the Americas uh, with like collars and floggers and corporal punishment and those sorts of things. And it, it was so well written and like, I am not doing it justice. This is why I need to find it. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Like, do you see um, in communities of color, making a bit more of that connection than you see in majority white spaces. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see, I think Shibari is the only thing we kind of have a, a really good popular understanding of, of where it came from and it, its cultural roots. And mm -hmm. um, but I, if you talk to Majori, she'll tell you, most of us. I was, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm like, listen to the Midoris, like not exactly. these like, you know, yeah, I can picture who I'm not listening to. And <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think it's sometimes it's not so much about, um, I, I, yeah, I love the idea of like focusing on, on the, the activities too, and kind of figuring like, where did the symbolism come from? Uh, but my curiosity has, has been more around, well, how have our ancestors been using things like pain, pleasure, uh, fetishes, uh, role play even in ways that are about the erotic, but aren't necessarily sexual. So they might be spiritual or they might be about an altered state or using the body to, to transcend the, the mind or things like that. Like, where do we see ritual show up? And there's mm -hmm. so many examples of that. There's so many examples of fire play, of piercing, of flogging, of, you know, all kinds of, of, um, rituals that have been used all over the world. So, 
yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if, if we make those connections strongly enough for, for it to kind of come up in, in right. conversations, because a lot of times, you know, I've, I've been invited to, to speak in places where it's an organization run by people of color. And some of the people of color are really uncomfortable around kink because there's the, the violent history of right. a lot of those practices being used on our bodies. But I mean, pain and pleasure is as old as, you know, <laughs> like the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm sure we, I would love to just present a, an, an, also a way of that we've used these intentionally, like not only in our in our violent history, but how have we used this to connect to spirit or to expand our consciousness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, one point that you bring up that really confuses a lot of people because we go back to, you know, people of color are not a monolith. And there is a lot of, you know, us as, as people of color who are kinksters do run across other people of color. Like Melina will still run across people of color. Like, how dare you? Other women of color, how dare you be a slave to a white man? Um, or how dare you, you know, whatever it is. Um, that makes, you know, that makes us look bad or that is not whatever it is, you know, it sends the wrong message, that sort of thing. So it's like, we have to deal with that in our own community. It's like talking to each other about like why some people might choose to do that while other people are like, that's a hard no. Um, and I find when, when white folks encounter other people of color who go with the, oh my God, this is horrible. You can never do this. Um, they tend to then get judgy, you know, kind of adopt that like, oh, no, why are people of color in our community being submissive, you know, to white people or whatever? Um, so how does that factor in, you know, dealing with the differing opinions within our own community and then how that bleeds out to non-communities of color? Yeah, I think I think there's there's always going to be a a diversity of um, relationships to kink. I think, I think the idea that we try to keep categorizing and try and popularizing just what's, what's stereotypical is, is so limiting. I mean, kink is infinite. That's what I love about it. It's so infinitely Mm -hmm. creative and you know what someone else might want to do. It might not be what I want to do. I mean, I don't want to call anybody daddy, but I want to be called daddy. And, and part of my rejection of, of daddy is because we live in a paternal, Paternalistic patriarchal society that infantilizes women. And so I it's it's too hard for me to do that. But somebody else might feel that that is a way, a portal into dealing with that that pain that we have to deal with every single day. Our body's so smart, mm-hmm. it decided to eroticize it and turn it into pleasure. Cool. That's that's yeah. one person's path into that. And another person is like, oh no, like, like that's that's a hard no for me. So I think being able to to hold space for for all of this and that we're not really trying to police each other's kinks i don't i don't know if that's the pathway to sexual empowerment but that when we share space then we have to come to mutually agreeable ways to be in space safely together Mm -hmm. yeah it's so complicated it's so complicated it is yeah but Okay, so you're doing kinky tapas, and I love this idea. I used to do ages ago. We called ours, and I like tapas much better. We called our circuit training in the dungeon. Oh my like, god! Like where you go to the different circuit. Like you're at the spanking station now. For everyone, to rotate fifteen minutes. You know that is so um, cute. I love that. 
but I like tapas better. So tell me about what kinky tapas is, when it is, why it's cool, all that stuff. Oh, yes, yes. So Marla and I have been dreaming about kinky tapas for a few years. And don't ask me why we never managed to like get it going. But uh, we, <laughs> we very much were wanting to create something where because so so many of us are, or so much of us have this uh, desire to kind of dip our toes and in, into different kinds of kinky things. And we're just not sure what we're into, or we have a little bit of an affinity, but we're curious about something else. And Marla and I are definitely like that. I teach like 30 different classes. She teaches a whole bunch of classes. And so, you know, we're, we're dabblers, but uh, we also know how to teach range and continuum. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, wow, why don't we bring our skills together in a space and offer people a hands-on opportunity to to do things. So we're not only teaching things like communication and scene negotiation and doming with presence and subbing with power, you know, we're we're also teaching a lot of hands-on um, activities. And so we do uh-huh. we have a huge list, but it's really dependent on what the final group wants. So you get a chance to actually weigh in and say, oh yes, I want to learn P play. Oh yes, I want to learn this thing. Um yeah, and we're doing it in Oakland. It's at the end of April. It's April 28th to, um, well, May 1st, we say goodbye to you, but we're spending two days in the dungeon and we're also going to be doing kinky things around San Francisco. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So y'all, I'm going to have that link, of course, in the show notes. And I think a discount code too, right? Oh, you will get a discount code. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. A good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I found that uh, I love doing these events where you get to like sampler platter all of the things because as a teacher, I see people, you know, hey, just get the opportunity. Sometimes they're afraid to ask, like, I want to see what it's like to, to, you know, throw a whip or do something that's like, maybe they don't have the equipment available to them or whatever it is, or they're afraid to ask or what. It's very much like one of those like hands-on science fair. Yes. Um, if, If anyone's from Chicago or visit Chicago, the Museum of Science and Industry, where you get to touch and feel and be a part of the ex- the, the exhibits, the scientific exhibits. It's kind of like that, but for kink, um, which is really cool. And it's so much fun. And there's so much laughter and so much discoverability. One thing that I found when I was a student at one of these events was I had always imagined myself loving to flog, to throw mm-hmm. a flogger. And it just, you know, something about like the figure eight motion. I was like, yeah, I could totally picture myself doing that. And uh, much to my disappointment, I finally got to try flogging. And I was really good at the aim until I realized it killed my, ri- like the figure oh, eight and the yeah. weight of the flogger killed my wrist so i was like i'm glad i didn't go out and spend you know 125 bucks on some kind of 200 bucks on some kind of flogger yeah but then secondly it made me because i got to experiment and be and i was like man i love everything about it but it hurts my wrist i discovered oh i have wrist problems Mm. so i'm gonna use finger floggers so i don't have to hold anything and now i like florentine flog actually for exercise i do it for a workout i have my I have my yoga ball and like my little, my little, like the stretchy bands and all like my little home gym. And right next to everything, I have my, my two finger floggers. Oh, it's great. So it's like that taught me I would have spent the money and been pissed 
and like been like fuck flogging i just wasted 200 bucks buying this deer hide flogger what you know um so that's one little way that like just just being able to pick up a flogger and be like can i be a dork and be like i don't know what i'm doing yeah teach me yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah Yeah, and we're also we're hoping you know i whenever i dom i mostly am trying the instruments on on myself to to the best Mm -hmm. of my capacity and i i think it's it's great for people who are just not even sure if they're are you a dom are you a sub are you fetishist are you this are you that you know we're we're also there to to be kinky mentors and help mm-hmm. you have those conversations. So you're getting so much like one-on-one coaching time with us too, which is what we love. We love having these conversations in um, in a way that that allows us actually access beyond just giving advice about what flogger to buy. You know, like like yeah. you said, like how do you how do you embody this? What do you do with this? How do you talk to someone about it? How do you know when you need to upgrade? How do you know, you know what what else? How can you make this sexual? Not Non-sexual. So yeah, we just want to play with yeah. people. We want them to feel like it's an educational space where they get to play in a in a safe and guided way. Ugh, it's so amazing. And like we need it, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to have some fun. It is. Yeah, just yeah. kinda let loose. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Like you and Marla, who Marla will be will yes. we'll be talking to Marla soon. Don't yes. you worry. <laughs> um are are both doing such great stuff. You know, the the race and kink series is just oh, it's what the world needs. Mm. Um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll be more. You know, expand, branch out. Yeah. Uh create create some, I don't know, national organization where okay. you know what I miss? You know what I miss? <laughs> what? I'll, I'll, this is selfish. I miss, and I don't know if you had this up in Canada like years ago, there was an yeah. organization called Black Beat. Uh, and no, it was like, I don't know it. Yeah, it was like how they have TNG now, like the next generation for people 18 to 35, where uh-huh. in every city, there's like a TNG chapter where they have their own munches and stuff. So like, if you're younger, and you're new to kink, you can feel a little safer. There's not like, you know, like, you know, grandpa's creeping on you. And you know, it's just <laughs> less intimidating to be with people in your own age group. And uh, Black Beat was very similar. There's like chapters in different cities and there'd be the Black Beat Munch and the Black Beat pay, Play Party. And I don't know, it disappeared in like 20. And then there, they had a national conference. Like they had a big conference. It was great. And it just like, poof, disappeared in like 2014 or 15. So like, I'm I'm poking you like, okay, make race and kink turn into a new organization for people of color. We can all have bunches and have one. Of Ooh. And, you know, just that would planting be cool. that seed in your brain. Oh my I'm gosh. Just, let's okay. let it grow. Yeah. 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 Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, real quick, while we wrap up, I will have for all the American fuckers, all of the links that we talked about everywhere where you can find Luna and Racing Kink and all that stuff. But just like the quick down and dirty, where can we find you or what have you got coming up next besides Kinky Tapas? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me and, and having this space. Um, I love being here. Please invite me back again. I want to come back. I'll bring yes. Mar. We'll make sure Marla's here next time. Um, yeah, you can find my, um, website is lunamatadas.com and I have 30 on-demand webinars. You can learn dirty talk for dominance. You can learn, you know, submissive skills, whatever, whatever you're looking for. And, uh, I, I have, I have some interesting things coming up for my newsletter subscribers. I'm, I'm really missing doing Instagram lives and taking Q and A and Instagram's just so, 
censored that I'm afraid to do it. So I'm only doing it for my newsletter subscribers. So we're going to be meeting once a month just for like a free for all free Q and a, and, and just to get to know um, people on my list. So that's coming nice. up too. Yeah. Very cool. I subscribe to your newsletter. I got to start paying attention. Yeah. I got to go to the things. Yes. Oh, cool. Come to the things. Nice. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Until next time, which will be soon. Yes. Um, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.